If you join me, if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I've titled this message today, The Truth About Joy. The Truth About Joy. I hear pages turning. Father, I bless you today for the awesome privilege that I have to stand here and be your oracle. I do not take this lightly. I've worked and prayed and studied and fasted and practiced and did all those things, Lord, that I believe are necessary to hear from you. And so now in this moment, I empty myself. Nothing to gain, nothing to lose, nothing to prove, only one to please. And that's you. And so speak through me today in the presence of your children and my brothers and sisters, and we will hear your voice and obey what it is that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. And everyone shout it. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. My version might read a little different than yours. I'm reading out of the ESV. And they were filled with fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. I want to talk to you today about the truth about joy. The truth about joy. I want to start with the definition of joy. And, and, and in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word joy transliterates to the same definition, and it means exceedingly, exceeding gladness, having great delight. The word joy can be traced back to the feast and the festivals of Israel. Whenever God commanded Israel and wherever God commanded Israel to worship him, they were to do it with, with great joy. That's what the feasts were all about. They had an incredible time just being with each other and enjoying the presence of the Lord. The words here in the Greek and the Hebrew both imply an outward expression of genuine excitement. Have you ever met someone? Let me back up. Let me, let me say it this way. Have you ever had anyone approach you and say, you know what, I got something to tell you, but you can't tell anybody? And it's, and it's great news. And so you have to walk around suppressing the, the knowledge that you know it. And, and then someone tells you, you know, they, they tell you what it is and, and you have to act surprised. That just feels strange, doesn't it? You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever had that happen to you? Feels strange. On the other hand, when you, when you are filled with joy and excitement over something, it's hard to hide, isn't it? You know, about a year ago, less than a year ago, um, actually, a couple years ago, I married this couple. And, um, 
And they had been wanting to have a baby, but they wanted to wait until the right time. So the timing was right, and we had been asking them, you know, as, as good spiritual parents do, when are you going to have that baby? When are you guys going to you know, get pregnant? And one day they walk into the church, and the young lady's just beaming. And Pelzetta walks up to her and says, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she said, yes. And she just starts crying tears of joy just welled up inside her. Because listen, when it's genuine joy, it's hard to hide, isn't it? You know about that, don't you, Joe? The angel of the Lord said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's available to everyone. Now, there are two types of people on the earth, just two. All different kind of ethnic backgrounds, but only two types of people on this earth. There are followers of Jesus Christ, and then there are non-followers of Jesus Christ. And here's the key. Both non-followers and followers experience joy. We do. But there's a vast difference between the two. You see, for non-followers, they experience an earthly joy that's just temporary. It's the joy of this world, and it's a joy that's incomplete. It cannot completely satisfy. It's impossible. But for followers of Jesus Christ, our joy is eternal. It's timeless. Lasts forever. Begins here. See, for the non-believer, the joy that they're experiencing, earthly joy, right here on this planet, in this earth, it's as good as it gets, man. It's not going to ever get better than this. So for the non-believer who finds their joy in the world, they'll find that their joy is temporary and it's, it's circumstantial. And temporary joy finds its significance in what's going on right now. It's what I can touch, it's what I can taste, it's what I can feel. It's based on circumstances. And listen, because circumstances are constantly changing, it makes the joy of the world elusive and evasive. You can't trap it, you can't hold it, you can't, you can't hang on to it. It's evasive. Hmm, it's temporary. And earthly joy is inward focused. It's all about what I can possess, what I, what I can acquire, what I can accomplish that I believe will, will satisfy me. But, but here's the point. Earthly possessions and accomplishments are only temporary things. And temporary things can never bring permanent joy that satisfies because temporary things hold no eternal value. I love what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. He sums it up well, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says this, it doesn't matter what you try to find joy in, whether you're having fun building a company with lots of employees, or making a name for yourself, or amassing a fortune for your family, indulging in the finest wines and enjoying the best entertainment money can buy. Even engaging in sex or untimely relationships, it doesn't matter. At some point, you will look back on everything you have done and you'll see that it's synthetic. It's all man-made. It's worldly. It's temporary. And it won't last. Now listen, I don't want you to, to misunderstand me here. 
because kept in proper perspective, there's nothing wrong, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with any material things that the Lord wants to bless us with. Listen, I, I love nice things. I love, I love my, I, my truck is relatively nice. I love my truck. I love my house. I love that I have a beautiful wife. Praise Jesus. Nothing wrong with, with, with having nice things, but things are temporary. Many of you right now are, are thinking about the gifts you're going to give and the gifts you're going to get, man. And, and, and I got my Christmas list too, man. I, there's some things that I want. You know, Pelzetta already knows that I want. And I'm, I'm praying that, that the Lord will lay it on her heart to. Because <laughs> I want to enjoy Christmas, man. Listen, I got some things I want, right? But it's temporary stuff. It's all good. And it's pleasant for the moment, but it won't last. It cannot last. At some point, it'll wear out. At some point, you'll lose interest. Let me ask you this. Can you remember what you got last Christmas? Hmm. Yeah. Temporary joy. So if you're not a follower of Christ, no matter how much joy you experience right now, when it's done, it's done. When you're done here on this earth, it's done. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your joy is done. But you are just beginning an eternity of sorrow. We don't talk about this much, but I'm going to tell you, life outside of Christ for the non-follower, if you die in your sins, there is a punishment and a judgment awaiting for you, and it is a hot burning, eternal hell. Got quiet in this sanctified church today. So if you, if you die in your sins without being a follower of Jesus Christ, that's only the beginning of sorrow for you. But for the follower of Christ, our joy, our joy right now, our joy we can begin experiencing eternal, everlasting joy. Why? Because our joy is the fruit of the eternal spirit of God who is our Father. And the scripture tells us that God is love. Psalms 103:17 tells us that his love is everlasting. Joy is a product of his love. Joy flows out of his love. And in him we find everlasting joy and there, or everlasting love and thereby we get to experience his everlasting joy. Wow. Wow. Everlasting joy. When it all boils down to it, I, I really believe that everlasting joy is really about three things. It's about Jesus. It's about others. And it's about you. Jesus, others, and you. Everlasting joy begins with Jesus. Ryan said it two weeks ago when he was speaking on hope, and here's, here's what he said. He said, Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. Without Jesus, we have no hope, and without hope, we can't have joy. Then Eric last week addressed the topic of peace, and he, he brought it from a different angle. He said it a different way. He says, Jesus is our access to the peace of God. He saves us from God's wrath. He redeems us by his blood. 
And through this peace with God, we are then able to have the peace of God. Without the peace of God, we cannot have joy. So eternal joy begins with Jesus, starts with Jesus. From the the very beginning, it has always been about Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 12. Y'all sure are quiet today. You have joy? Thank you, all two of you. Eternal joy begins with Jesus. Look at look what the writer of Hebrew writes. Beginning at verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside. Let us also lay aside every way. Let us also lay aside every way. That's indicative of the fact that when these great cloud of witnesses were here and they're going on to be with Jesus now. How many of you know we have a cloud of witnesses up in heaven cheering us on? So the scripture says, let us also, let us also, in other words, we've got to lay aside this thing too. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run this race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Eternal joy begins with Jesus from the very beginning. It's always been about Jesus. I love what Dr. Uh, Dr. Robert Utley says, has to say about this passage of scripture. He says that the word for is a preposition that actually can mean one or two things. Just for the joy that was set before him. And that could actually mean because of the joy that is set before him. But it can also mean instead of the joy that was set before him. So listen, because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus knowing that he, it was his responsibility from the creation of this earth, it was his responsibility for the redemption of all mankind. He knew that. He knew that in the end, after his people would be redeemed, there'd be great joy that we would experience. So because of that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Dr. Udley also says that it could mean that in spite of the joy. In other words, Jesus is in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and they are one, they are experiencing unity, and there's great joy going on. But Jesus says, in spite of this, I'm going to come down, man. I'm going to endure the cross, and I'm going to despise the shame. In spite of enjoying the presence of my Father and the Holy Spirit. It's always been about Jesus. From the very beginning, it's always been about Jesus. There's a song that's written, I think it's by Israel Houghton. It's called Jesus Be the Center of It All. And William, today must be the day to sing. Because I, I, just, I, I just feel compelled to sing this song, Jesus at the Center of It All. You guys know it? The words are up there. Jesus at the center of it all. 
Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. And everything revolves around you. Jesus, you, he's the center of it all. He's the center of it all. Everlasting joy begins with Jesus. And everlasting joy is about others. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Actually, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. How many of you went to Philippians chapter 4? I just want to see if you're listening to me. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And I think it's going to be on the screen. Hey, did, I put it up, did I put it up on the screen too? Or do I? Well, I do. It's Philippians chapter 2. Ryan said this point, it's one of those days. Listen to what, what Paul writes. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, complete my joy. Everybody say joy. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How are you going to do that? How, how, how are you going to complete Paul's joy? By doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Others. Let each one of you look not on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. It's about others. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Here's the first. I believe that it is impossible for us to experience full joy alone. As a matter of fact, anytime you see in Scripture where there's full joy, it's always connected relationally. I can't think of a time in my entire life where, where I enjoyed something to its fullest that it wasn't connected to someone else. Great joy is experienced in the company of others. I'm a basketball fan, so I've been watching basketball for a long time. And in 1983, the late coach, uh, Jim Valvano, was coaching the, um, the NC State Wolfpack. And they were playing the Houston Cougars. They were significant underdogs. I mean, no one expected them to win that game. So, so Valvano is coaching this team, and, uh, and you know, they're, they're, they're going through the game, and, it's, and it tightens up, and, and, and uh, it's close to the end of the game. There's like 30 seconds left to go, and, and NC State has the ball. They're down by one point, and, and Houston is chasing the ball around, man. They almost steal it a couple times, and they fail to steal it. And this is a great team. I'm going to tell you the significance of this. 
You know, in the NBA, there are, there are, um, there are 30 teams. The NBA is 70 years old. 70 years old. There are 30 teams, 450 players a year on these teams. And two of the players on the Houston team are considered to be two of the 50 greatest players in the history of the NBA. Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. There's absolutely no way that NC State was supposed to win this game. So it's like six seconds left, and Derek Wittenberg, he's got the ball, and he, he's like 30 foot out, 30 feet out, man. He shoots this, this, this shot, and it comes up about a, a, a foot and a half short. And in the middle of the air, there's a picture. In the middle of the air, Lorenzo Charles grabs the ball, slam dunks it. And game over. That's the crowd, by the way. NC State wins the game. Improbable, nearly impossible. And here's what happens after that. Jim Valvano is running around like a madman, right? He's just trying to find somebody to hug. At least that's what everybody thought, right? He, really what it was, was Derek Wittenberg, the guy that shot the shot, every, every game after the game, whether, it was, whether they won or whether they lost, he would go up to Derek Wittenberg and they would just embrace each other no matter what. And so Valvano's just running around trying to find Wittenberg and he can't find him. And he ends up going to this big crowd and he's embracing this crowd of people and they are sitting there rejoicing over their victory together. <laughs> one, one player recalled that Coach Valvano told them after the game that this night would be a whole lot bigger 20 years from now. People will still be talking about it. The way I, I came about this story again is I was watching ESPN 30 for 30 the other night. It's been 30 years, 30 years, and these guys were reliving the moment as if it happened yesterday, experiencing once again the joy that they had when they won that game. But that's a game. That's a basketball game. Let me ask you this. Is there any greater joy than to see someone, some other outside of relationship with Jesus Christ surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus? Is there any greater joy than to watch someone for the first time give their lives to Jesus? Someone that is lost finding the Lord. Luke in Luke chapter 15 records three stories told by Jesus. And in each one of the stories, something is lost and then it is found. And then when it's found, it brings great joy to the person that finds it. In all three stories, the shepherd finding a lost sheep, the woman finding her lost coin, the father getting his son back, his prodigal son. The finder does this. He first calls everyone together his friends, his families, the neighbors, the others, and they rejoice together. In each case, there was tremendous joy experienced because of something which was lost being found. But I want you to notice something in two of the stories. Something else is recorded. The scripture says that all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. Can you imagine that? All of heaven rejoices when just one of the others comes to Jesus. So we get to experience lasting joy, everlasting joy that begins here when in times of joy, 
and rejoice and we invite other followers to join us. But more importantly, when we, when we introduce someone who doesn't know Jesus to Jesus Christ, we get to spend eternity with them. Eternal, everlasting joy. My third and final point, everlasting joy is about you. You were designed to experience full joy. Listen, I think Eric said it a couple weeks ago, you know, or last week. He said our body in this original design was made to experience the fullness of God, the fullness of joy that's found in the presence of God. But it's because of Adam's sin, we lost that, that eternal body and we, 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 trans, we, we traded it for a temporary body, a temporary temple. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 22, he says that all of creation groans for the redemption of this earth, for things to be restored back to its original design. And then he goes on to say, not just the creation, but all of us, our earthly bodies long for the day where we receive our glorified bodies. And until then, we're going to experience a, an eternal longing that cannot be satisfied. It's a longing for home. You see, this world that we live in is not our, our permanent residence. Praise God for that. We're not made for here. Scripture tells us we're just pilgrims passing through. And so it's this insatiable longing inside of us that cannot be satisfied this side of heaven that we, we experience here, but we have this promise. We have this promise of one day Jesus is coming back to take us to our eternal home, and in the process of that, he's going to restore the world back to its original design. See, that's what Advent is all about. That's what it reminds us of. But until that day, listen, we're going to experience gladness and sadness. We're going to experience triumph and tragedy. We're going to experience joy and pain just like everybody else in this world we're going to experience. We have to walk through life just like everyone else as followers of Jesus Christ. Joy and pain. Now I find it interesting as I, as I was doing this research that the two shortest verses in the Bible, one found in John uh, chapter 11 verse 35 and the other found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16, the two shortest verses in the Bible speak of joy and sorrow. John chapter 11, verse 35 says, Jesus wept. And many people think that that's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's not. That's actually three Greek words. The shortest verse is found in 1 Thessalonians, and that's the one that says, rejoice evermore. Now, I don't know if there's a, a, a significance where the two shortest verses draw that contrast, but I'd say this. I take it to mean that joy and sorrow run hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And I said before, and I'll say it again, being a follower of Jesus Christ, family, doesn't make us exempt from suffering. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for joy also implies that great gladness usually comes after times of great sorrow because sorrow heightens the sense of gladness. Hmm. And it's true. Listen to what Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, beginning at verse 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour is, has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for the joy that that human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Interesting. Last night, Pelzetta and I, was, we were at the hospital because that couple I told you about that was, that was pregnant, they had their baby last night or yesterday. 45 hours of labor. Woo! Somebody say, Jesus. 45 hours of labor, man. Three hours of hard pushing. Three. You know, I was thinking this week, God knew what he was doing because if God made it so that men would have to have babies, that'd be the best form of birth control he could have ever had. <laughs> I can't even imagine it, man. Woo! No, Jesus. No. Mm -mm. I asked her, I said, I said, listen, I said, what was it like to hold that baby for the first time? She said, she said, listen, man. She said, when I held that baby for the first time, it made everything worth it. It all was worth it. I talked to the father. He said the same thing. He said, man, it was all worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Here's the point. It's often in the time of our greatest pain and struggle that we can truly experience the internal, the eternal joy of the Lord that transcends our circumstances. It's true. The other day, I was in the dentist's office, and I've been seeing the same dentist for many years, and, and uh, the office manager there, her name is Judy, and we have cordial conversation. We've never had an in-depth conversation. And this day, she walked me back to the back where the chair was, and she sat down, and I looked at her face, and it was different. I mean, there was something just, you, have, you, have, you know when you've been around a person for a long time, you can look at them, and you're like, man, you know, there's just something different. Didn't look like anything was wrong, but it was just different. And I hadn't seen her in a while. I said, so how are you doing, Judy? She said, said uh, you know, honestly, I'm doing remarkably well. I said, well, why don't you open that up for me? She said, well, you know, a couple weeks ago, I went home to see my mom. She wasn't doing well. She said, we had the greatest time for like 10 days. We had the greatest time. And I thought she was going to pass away, but she didn't. And so I came back home. And, and uh, I, when I got into the house, I, my pipes had bursted. I burst, and there was water all down in my downstairs, and the lights were off, things had shorted out. She said, and then I went over to my, my dryer and my, wash, my washer and dryer, and the, the washer was broke. She said, and I no sooner got, you know, got adjusted to that, that I got a phone call that my mom had died. She said, I was like, what else, Lord? She said, as I was talking to the Lord, he began talking to me. He said, do you trust me? Because I promised you I would give you joy in the midst of your pain. I promised you I'd give you a peace that would surpass all understanding. And then she said this. She said, I don't know how people who don't know Jesus lose loved ones that don't know Jesus and cope. She said, because I know where my mom is, and I, I have this hope that I'm going to see her again. And that hope brings me joy, and that hope brings me peace. 
She says, I'm all right because I'm resting on the promises of God. She says, I, choose, I chose to bless God in spite of my circumstances and the peace and the joy that came over me was undescribable. That's the promise of God. So what makes it possible for us to experience lasting joy in a world that's filled with sorrow and suffering? And Melissa, you can come to the piano if you would. Here's the first thing. It's the recognition that we serve a trustworthy God, a God who has made promises to us, a God that has never failed to keep a promise, a God that cannot lie and cannot change. He is our Father. We can trust him. The second thing is God promises to give us his joy in the midst of our trials, in spite of our pain. He's placed his joy on the inside of us, and Nehemiah 8 and 10 tells us that in those times of turmoil, trial and struggle, he said the joy of the Lord would be our strength. That's a promise. And finally, no matter what you're going through, we as followers of Jesus Christ have to understand it's only temporary. Paul writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparisons, not even to be compared with what will be revealed in us when Jesus comes back. So we choose to bless the Lord no matter what. We choose to bless the Lord no matter what because he's faithful to his promises. I want to close with this song. It's, it's, it's by Matt Redman. We sang it earlier, but I'm not going to sing it, but I'm just going to, just going to say it over you as we prepare our hearts for communion. Listen to this. Listen to the dichotomy. Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place and though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in still, I will say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when, when the sun is shining down on me and when the world is all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. And though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give and take away, you give and take away in my heart, in my heart, I choose to say, blessed be your name.